This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in the book of Genesis. I'm going to I'm going to have to move this morning pretty quick because we're going to cover some ground that I've actually covered before when dealing with Nimrod. And oftentimes, I, growing up, I don't know about you or not, but uh, one of the one of the pejoratives, one of the things somebody could say uh, negative about you is that you were a Nimrod, which meant that you uh, you were dumb or stupid or you didn't know what you were doing or you were a kind of a barbarian, you, you, an ogre, you just around. And that idea of a Nimrod is interesting to me because, because why that became the pejorative for the man Nimrod, I have no idea. I am, I'm baffled by it in all actuality. But as we come to this Wednesday, Nimrod is an important, really important figure in, in Genesis. And the reason he's an important figure in Genesis is because if you look down through the table of nations, you realize that the person that gets the most, the person that gets the most publicity, the person that gets the most ink, as they would say in, in the newspaper, the person who everybody, who, who everybody can see clearly is the person that wants, that God wants to place an emphasis on is Nimrod. And I believe that the reason he wants to place that emphasis on Nimrod is because Nimrod is a person who does some things and brings about some things that change the nature of humanity and cause many things that are going on even to this very day. And, uh, and his founding of the, of the city of Babel and the city of or Babylon and the city of Nineveh are key and critical acts that ultimately lead to many wars. And they are the seats of two mighty empires that exist in world history. And it says in verse 8, that Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, that would seem to, as you would read it, as you'd look at it, as you're reading it, you would see, you would, you would, you would think that that's a nice thing to be said. That's really nice that he would say that Nimrod was a mighty one on the earth. That's a compliment, you would think, in Scripture. But no, if you read through Scripture and study Scripture and understand things, as you begin to do that, you realize that's not a compliment. A mighty one on the earth is not a mighty one before. And those are two ways. If God was going to say, God was going to say something about him being a spiritually, a spiritual giant. He would have said he was a mighty one before me, or he was a mighty one in my kingdom, or he was a mighty one for my will and for my way. Or he would have said something that directed you to understand that Nimrod was a mighty man before him, but Nimrod was a mighty man on the earth. And in fact, as you're uh, as you're reading this, he says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that right there it has some connotations or some context 
that doesn't get seen in the English language. What was he hunting? And the issue is, is not that he was a mighty hunter and that he was a, a one of these guys that went out on safari and killed an elephant and had the picture taken with the elephant or killed a, a lion and had a picture taken with the lion. Or as in the uh, Old West, when they'd go out and they'd pile up buffalo by the thousands and take pictures of these giant piles of buffalo. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, what it's talking about is he was a mighty hunter of men. He's a mighty hunter of men before the Lord. And so it says, therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And that's not the saying that was when I was a child. He's a Nimrod was not that he was a that he was a mighty killer of men or a mighty warrior before the Lord. Nimrod, Nimrod was uh, <clears throat> a son of Cush. And Cush was a son of Ham. Nimrod is a great grandson of Noah, and he becomes a mighty king, a mighty emperor. He builds a mighty kingdom based off of not his his abilities as far as being a leader, but because he is a he's a great warrior, and he's a killer. And it says, and the beginning of his kingdom was Baal, Erech, Akkad, Kalna. And the land in the land of Shinar. Now you say, well, what about those cities that are mentioned? The most important city that is mentioned there is the city of Babel. It is the city of Babel where the Tower of Babel will be built. And we'll see that uh, coming up very soon. But it is the beginning of the empire of Babylon. And notice it is called in the land of Shinar. And that is very important, too, because that gives you context. As we go through history, we begin to understand some things about, about Nimrod and about what he did when he created this Tower of Babel, when he created the city of Babel, which ultimately led to the Tower of Babel and in the land of Shinar. And then he said, it says, from the land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Hoboth, and Kalah. And now... Uh, and resin between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the principal city. Now, the key there is he went to build a town, a city named Nineveh. And if you read it in the Bible, one of the great stories of the Old Testament is that a prophet was sent to preach the good news or to preach repentance. And by the way, the good news involves repentance. It's a call to turn from your own will and turn to God. Repent, which means to turn for the kingdom of God is at hand, is the sermon that was preached by John the Baptist and Jesus to begin their ministry. And Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach the gospel. And notice, Jonah hated Nineveh. Interesting about Nineveh is you've heard of Nineveh a lot lately. It is the, it is the city of Mosul in Iraq. And we had a lot of issues about a decade ago in Mosul dealing with that city in Iraq. It is still there. It is still there 6,000 years ago. And if you look it up and study it, you'll see that it was the head of the Assyrian Empire and for probably a century or so was the largest city in the world. And it is it was a powerful city. And the Assyrian Empire was a powerful empire. And Babel was a powerful empire. And what was set up there, what was began in those cities is a, a false worship of a cult or what the best way for me to describe that, describe it to you is paganism. In Babylon, in Nineveh, and on the plains of Shinar, there was a false cult religion that was started 
by Nimrod and his wife and his wife, and, uh, and in, in my belief, inspired by Satan himself to take the place of God's, of the worship of the one true. And it was began in Babylon, and Babylon, in fact, in the Bible, is the word for idolatry. It's the idea of idolatry. It's the picture of false worship or false religion. And that's important. You need to understand it's the beginning of worshiping other gods and the beginning of worshiping those gods. Nimrod founded Babel after the Tower of Babel, first, first place of false worship. In fact, the Tower of Babel was for the purpose of worship. We also oftentimes think that the Tower of Babel, and I'm going to deal with this pretty soon anyway, but we think that the Tower of Babel was built so that they could build all the way up to heaven and get to God. That's not what was going on. They were building a great tower so that it could be seen from hundreds of miles away so that their name would be great. Notice that they're trying to elevate who they are in the sight of men so that they would be worshipped themselves. It is an effort for them to make a great name for themselves, as Nimrod was trying to do, and for them to be worshipped themselves. The same thing Satan did when he fell. A man is trying to do, and I've told you this before, man will worship one of three. He'll either worship the one true God, or he will worship something created, whether that be spiritual in the angelic, or whether that be physical in the world, or he will worship the one created thing that he loves the most, and that is himself. And so there's no way to get around that. Everybody you meet is worshiping something. They're either worshiping something spiritual, they're either worshiping something physical, both of them being created by God. They're either worshiping God himself or they're worshiping themselves. And, and there's no way to get around that. We worship one of those three things. And everybody I've ever met was worshiping one of those three things at some point in time in their life. And there's really no alternative to those three things. And it says, so, so the, that tower that was built in Babel was an effort to elevate the name of the people there so that they could worship themselves. It was meant to worship the stars, a ziggurat or a what we have in Washington, D.C., we call the Washington Monument. It is a, it is a four-sided, uh, very tall, slender tower. And it, primarily when they were built, they were used to worship the stars or to study the stars through what we call astrology. In the Old Testament, they're called high places, and you need to get that. A lot of times I, growing up, when I was reading the Bible, I thought high places mean, meant mountaintops. And that seems right because, you know, you got the highlanders that come from the, from the hills, the highlands of wherever that is or wherever you're at. Whenever you have that, that, that idea of a highland, high place, I always thought was on top of a mountain. The high place actually is on top of a ziggurat or on top of a tall building that's built for studying the stars. And so it says the remains of the Tower of Babel became after, after God destroyed the tower and after he confused human languages and people, it became the focal point or the temple for the worship of Baal in Babylon. And Baal is one of the gods that, and I actually believe in it, believe he's a fallen angel that, that was worshiped there in, in Babylon. And Nimrod's wife, and this is key because you say, why are we blaming Nimrod for this? Because his wife was the one who was key in starting that. His, her name was Samarimus, and she's also called Ishtar in scriptures. She's called Ishtar, 
And Ishtar is not something that you just see in biblical context. We see Ishtar in all kinds of contact text. She is an ancient name, and she is the ancient goddess of fertility. And uh, Samarimus was the one who began the worship of her, and she called herself Ishtar. It began, she began the false woman-child worship or mother-child worship in Babylon. And, and there was the story of she received the sun miraculously from a sunbeam, and that would have been meant that she conceived a son from, from Osiris. That would be the god, the sun god, Zeus in Greece, Osiris in Egypt. And that sun god, through his sunbeam, created or miraculously conceived. Notice how we're counterfeiting Christ right at the start. And the sun god was called, the sun was called Tammuz or Baal. And, and Tammuz was ultimately killed by a wild boar in heaven. He was gored by a wild boar in heaven. And Samarimus or Ishtar prayed for him for 40 days. And that's where we get Lent. And Tammuz was raised from the dead after that 40 days of prayer. And then, then the worship of mother and child together with mother being the principal one to be worshiped was begun. And if you can't draw the parallels to modern times, it's going to be hard for me to do it without just straight up offending as many people as possible. But that woman-child cult, that woman-child, uh, mother-child worship began on the plains of Shinar by Nimrod's wife, Samarimus. And uh, Nimrod enforced it because he was a great hunter on the earth. And uh, he built the great cities on the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in that region of the world. And, and those two cities brought about two great empires, which spread that religion all over the Middle East and on into parts of the world, into uh, Southern Europe, into Northern Africa, and then on, on, on over into Asia. And, and that happened once the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and then the Persians were conquered by the Greeks. And if you'll remember the story of Alexander the Great, he actually made his, made his capital of his empire in Babylon. And he didn't continue to worship the gods that the that his the Greeks worship. He took on the worship of the Babylonian gods, and then he took them to Greece. And, may, and although he didn't go back to Greece, those gods were taken back to Greece, and they were given new names, Greek names. And the worship of those Greek gods began were brought about by they were brought about by Alexander the Great. And so all these occult or a false religious gods are all tied together. The, the sun god of Greece and the sun god of, of Egypt and the sun god of the Arabian Peninsula are all the same god. They're the same, they're the worship of the same god. And, and the Baals or Tammuz uh, or the worship of the, of the sun who was immaculately conceived, that going on throughout scripture, throughout history. And there's some key points to that worship that are important to see and to understand. One of those, one of the points of that worship was, is that they that they had dedicated virgins, people, women, said who, who knew no man to worship that God. There is a form of Christianity that has that. They had the sign of Tammuz or the sign of the cross, which was the T. They had the the necessity that you had to confess your wrongs to to a priest. You had to confess your wrongs to a Babylonian 
or a pagan confession was important so that you could know what people had done wrong and so that you could hold it over them and control them. That was a part of that religion. They believed in purgatory. And the only way for you to be cleansed so that you could go to an afterlife, you had to go through a purgatory's fires and be cleansed by those things. And obviously, ultimately, the, the mother became the ultimate point of worship in, in that worship. And that worship's mentioned throughout, it's mentioned in Scripture, Ezekiel 8, chapter, verses 13 and 14. Uh, it talks about a woman who went out and began to weep for Tammuz, and that's one of the reasons God was bringing judgment is that the women were worshiping Tammuz. And Jeremiah 44, the, uh, the chapter deals with the women who had turned from God and began to worship these false gods, and it describes the Babylonian worship that, that I've been describing this morning. And what's so neat about it is, and I say that neat in a bad way, one of the, this is an obvious thing. I've read this before, and I think it's, I think it's real informative, but this paganism that, that um, was brought about in Babylon by Nimrod and his wife Samarimus, also known as Ishtar, that paganism is alive today. It survived, and it survived in the form of ancient rites and customs, condoned, this is what Will Durant said, or accepted and transformed by an often indulgent church, meaning the church just inculcated this paganism into its practice. It, an intimate and trustful worship of saints replaced the cults of pagan gods. In those temples where they used to worship pagan gods, they began to worship saints. And statues of Isis and Horus were re renamed Mary and Jesus. Notice Isis and Horus are two pagan gods, and they just began to call them Mary and Jesus. And and uh, they were began to inculcate the Feast of Purification. It became to became the Feast of the Nativity. Saturnalia was replaced by Christmas, and the ancient festival of the dead was replaced by All Souls Day and rededicated to the Christian heroes. What basically we've done is we've just married up paganism and Christianity and brought it down throughout history and, and incense and lights and flowers and processions and vestments and hymns, which had pleased the uh, people of the older cults, cults were domesticated and cleansed in the ritual of the church, meaning all these pagan cults were just brought in and made a part of the church. And soon the people and priests uh, would use the sign of the cross as a magic in, in, incantation to expel and drive away demons. And that's just, that's, and ultimately, ultimately the center of the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God was moved to the center of power in the world, which was Rome. And ultimately Yahweh was replaced by this pagan cult religion and just given Christian names from the Bible. And that's just, that's just a fact. And that's just the way, that's the way it is. And that's been passed on and it's an issue. It's a real issue. And especially when you go to the book of the Revelation and you read about the harlot Babylon, and we're going to be doing that tonight. We're going to be studying the Babylonian cult. God has a definite dealing with it. And it's not something that was from ancient history. It's something that's real and alive today. And it's something that has presented itself as true religion. But the fact is, it's not true religion. It's just a, it's just a remaking or a re redressing of an old religion that was started by this man who gets all of, he gets all of five verses in this chapter of 32 verses 
Nimrod gets five of the verses. No other person gets even all of one of the verse, but, but Nimrod gets all these verses. And the reason is because the things he did and the work he did were, were, had great significance for world history. And, uh, and Nimrod is a name that should be known by Christians because him and his wife, Samarimus, began false religion in the world. And that false religion has carried itself all over the world and inculcated itself in almost every aspect of the world religion. And that is going to be cleansed by God. In chapter 17 and chapter 18 of the book of the Revelation, God intentionally leads us to the place where we sit down and we look at it and we say, these are the pagan things that are going on in, in Christianity and in the worship of God, and God's going to get rid of them. And there's so much paganism that actually is in uh, Christian worship that it's hard to get rid of. And it's hard to realize how tied we are to it. And God knows that, and he's doing his best to cleanse us of those things while we're here. But there's going to come a day when he's just going to totally get rid of it. And I praise him for that. And I praise him that ultimately there's going to be a day that he fixes all this. And people in chapter 10 of the Revelation Genesis are played out in the last book of the Revelation. We talked about Sheba and Dedan yesterday, and we talked about how they, along with they, along with Tarshish, asked why the Russians and the Persians and this alliance are going to come and ta- attack Israel right before the end times. All these people are right here in the book of Genesis. They're in Genesis chapter 10. And the plans that God go back to the very beginning and God's work and God's recognition of what the enemy is going to be about and going to be doing is right there in scripture. It's not hard to find. And if you can, if you'll do a little research and do a little looking into it, you realize that these people are, these things that are going on here are, are a plan that was put in place by Satan a long time ago. If you want some conspiracy theorists, you want to get into some conspiracies, go back to Nimrod. That's a conspiracy right there. That's one that's passed the test of time. He, him and his wife, Samarimus, have put in place something that has been terrible for the world for 5,000 years. And I would say to you this morning that I'm glad I can read things like this. And the reason I can is because I realize that my God has been telling me and all those who believe in him along with me that he's got a plan and he's handling that plan and he knows exactly what's going on and and he's at work and i can trust him because i've just been here just going on about 50 years and he's been at work for thousands and thousands of years and millennia millennia past and i was a part of the plan a long time ago and i'm glad i'm in it right now i'm glad you are too and, and I pray that we will actively be involved in his plan each and every day so that we might glorify his name and so that, so that we might know him and walk him. I praise God for that. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.